one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talk Sport 2 and another of our big name exclusive interviews. Over the course of the next hour, that famous England bowling partnership from the early 2000s that reunites as Steve Harmison sits down with his old teammate Matthew Hoggard to discuss the twists and turns of a successful career in the game. For more content like this, as well as match highlights and in-depth analysis, you can subscribe to the following on podcast, which is available on Apple Podcasts, Acast and Spotify. But for now... You're listening to Steve Harmison in conversation with Matthew Hoggard. So, Hogg, thanks for letting us delve into the life and the mind of Matthew Hoggard. I did say to TalkSport that this could be an interesting hour trying to get into the mind of Hoggy, but I think I know your life inside out and I've heard your after-dinner stuff and stuff like that, but your entry into the game of cricket was... A bit late. It wasn't the conventional way. You didn't play much representative cricket for Yorkshire as young Yorkshire, and you sort of fell into it by chance, really, didn't you? Yeah, I've got to say, I didn't start playing for Yorkshire until I was 18. Um, I thought my chance of playing professional cricket was had gone because I kept on getting overlooked for all the Yorkshire representative side. So I was taking air levels, so I wanted to be a vet. You know, I'm like I love my animals. Um, no, you love your animals. Some would argue you were, you, you're borderline <laughs> human and animal. Uh, I, I think I get more sense out of um, animals than I do with a lot of my colleagues or ex-colleagues. <laughs> no, no exceptions spared, Stephen. Um, but, yeah, so I wanted to be... I, my next love was wanted to be a vet, um, so I was doing air levels, and Phil Carrick came to Pudgy Kongs and to take over as captain, and he took one look at me playing third-team cricket, which I was at the time for Pudgy Kongs, and he moved me from the third team up into the first team, which was full of Yorkshire second team players. And he sent me off to South Africa and I played club cricket in Joburg for a team called the, the, the Pirates. Um, and again, I opened the ball with Stephen Jack, 
um, who played cricket for South Africa. There was Stefan Jacobs, who's currently the Transvaal all-rounder. We had Neil Fusedale, who was a spinner who played for Transvaal at the time. So it was a brilliant team. Um, and I learned so much about um, cricket and, and myself. And when I came back, uh, Phil Carrick had badgered Steve Oldham to give me a trial at Yorkshire. And um, I managed to get onto the books. It wasn't, uh, a, and it, it wasn't, it, it, it was, you know, we talk about getting a trial at Yorkshire. First of all, it was, it, it wasn't easy getting a trial at Yorkshire, but then when you got the trial, there were some bowlers in that Yorkshire, Yorkshire lineup <laughs> as well as what was in reserve. Yeah, I can remember um, maybe my second year or third year into the, my, my career, I had a meeting with Bill Affey. And it was a case of the opening the bowling was Darren Goff and Chris Silverwood with Jack Hartley. Um, we had Warfy, we had Sidebottom, um, we had Gavin Hamilton, um, we had Paul Hutchison. Uh, there were so many people above me, um, and we had maybe seven steamers that all played for England or were capable of playing for England at the time. It was a case of, can you go play? Do you want to come to Worcester? And half of me really did want to go to Worcester and be guaranteed a first-team place. And the other half of me wanted to kick the, the, the old boys out of Yorkshire and said, you know, I'm Yorkshire through and through. I want to play for Yorkshire and I want to kick people out. And I backed myself that I'm good enough that I stayed. And uh, that old cliche, the rest is history, sort of uh, malarkey, but the rest is history. And the, the people you went into that, that side with, you know, the friendship that you had, the likes of Silverwood and... Even our very own talk sports, Darren Goff. What was Goffy <laughs> like to play with early doors? You youngster coming into the dressing room. I played with some you know, good characters at, at Durham, but nobody is larger than life or hero status of what Goffy is as a young as a young whippersnapper coming into the dressing room. Yeah, I just missed Craig White out there. Very important. Yeah. Cog and part of, of your fast. If you sit and tell Goffy he was the fastest one, <laughs> Goffy wasn't very happy with that. No, no, I tell, he was. And I'll tell you a story about that after I've told you how good Goffy was. And Goffy was awesome. You know exactly what you're getting with Goffy because he told you. Um, <laughs> if, <laughs> and if you weren't not, listening, he told you again. <laughs> get it. There was nothing quiet about Darren Goff. There was no BS about Goffy. He talked about himself a lot. He had a lot of self-belief. But you know that if the going got tough, he'd be the first person in the dressing room to stick up his hand and say, right, then I want to do them hard yards. Mm -hmm. And he'd also be the person that if somebody was having a tough time, that would go around and put his arm around them. Mm -hmm. So it was, to me, it was it, he's a legend. And he was a massive influence in my career, watching him on the TV, thinking, you know, I want to... On a bit like him, mm. um, and he's larger than life, as you say, and he and he is um, a character. And on the the quickest bowler, Craig White was definitely quicker than Goff. I was. It was in the early days of my my, my um, Yorkshire, and we had light blue kit, Sunday league kit um, with yellow writing. It said Yorkshire on the front, and I was twelfth man, and I was asked to take the the baseball mitt onto the, and say, right, can you take the bowlers? And I was carking myself, to be fair, because I wasn't very good with this mitt. These balls were coming quite fast. And in Sunder League, there were still allowed crowds on the pitch. Yeah. So everybody gathered around the square. People were behind me. And I was keeping to Silverwood, Goff, Hamil Hamilton, and um, Warfield. And then I, 
I was hoping that I wasn't going to miss one of these because there are kids behind me. I'm thinking this somebody in this crowd is going to get killed. <laughs> and I managed to stop things and I was thankful when everybody said they were loose. So I was walking back to the changing rooms and Chalky said, can I, can I have a ball? And I haven't really, I didn't really see how quick he was. So I, I stood up to sort of like Gav, I was keeping for Gav when he trundled in with his off spin, his little run up. And he went, and it just went, smacked me in the gloves so hard, faster than spoons, faster than Gokki. He was scary. And the worst thing was that he wobbled the ball. So whereas Spoons wobbled it a little bit, Goffey was quite nice and didn't do anything, but Chalky, you have your give it here and it'd come down here. And I was thinking, I'm glad I ain't the keeper, but Chalky was definitely faster than both Spoons and White on that day. And establishing yourself at Yorkshire, how tough it was to get into the Yorkshire team was probably harder to get in the Yorkshire team than it was to get in the England team, to be fair, <laughs> during that time. But when you did get the phone call, and what's that like? When you get a phone call to say you're going to play for England, but going, getting that phone call and how it come about and then getting to to the venue of, I'm going to actually play cricket for England here. Yeah, <laughs> obviously you you know what it's like getting the phone call, Stephen, because yep. you, you've, you've been there. Um, mine wasn't as smooth as yours. Uh, <laughs> I, we, we, we had a dressing room full of pranksters, of practical jokers, of... Uh, you talk about Anthony McGrath. Well, we've, had McGrath we've had McGrath on the show a couple of weeks ago, so yeah, I tried to describe what McGrath was like, but nobody would believe it. It's hilarious. He, there's no, not a dull moment with him about. And I, I play, We played a semi-final against um, Surrey um, live on TV. I was bald-headed, coming down the hill at Edinley. I managed to get Mark Butcher out, Graham Thorpe out, Adam Hollyoak out and Ali Brown out. And Sky started talking well, about me playing. Yeah, thanks. Sky talked about me playing for England. So I kept on getting phone calls from Telegraph and Argos, Radio Radio Leeds, the Yorkshire Post, all asking the same sort of questions. Fantastic season, Matthew, you've been picking up wickets. Great display against Surrey. And just talk about you playing for England. Have you ever tried to milk a cat or ride a, ride a dog? Um, I, caught, <laughs> I, I, I made that a bit cleaner than cleaner, it actually yeah, was. I've heard, I've heard the version. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so you knew that it was yeah, Mags taking the mickey or one of his mates taking the mickey when they started bursting out laughing. Uh, you say, no, I've not tried to milk a cat. Uh, but you put the phone down and you think, right, they've got to be a bit more switched on here. Don't fall for Mags's prank. So when the phone rang at half eight in the morning, I picked it up and went, hello, this is David Graveney, the chairman of the England Selectors. I'm pleased to announce that you'll be joining up with the England squad to play the West Indies down at Lords on Monday. I thought it was Anthony McGrath. So I said, not now, Max. Put the phone down. <laughs> Two seconds later, the phone rings again. Hello, no, this really is David Graveney, the chairman of England. So I said, Max, uh, not now, eh? Put the phone down for the third time. Picked it up. I went, will you do one, please? Put the phone down. Uh, 20 minutes later, my wife answers the phone. Oh, my girlfriend at the time says, phone says, um, no, nah, it's not, um, Max. It's, it's somebody called David Gavney um, on the other end of the phone. So I had to um, say, I'm really sorry. Um, really sorry, David. Um, I thought it was Mags, and I tried to tell him the stories of all the pranks <laughs> with phone calls. He went, I'm not interested, Hoggy. Um, just make sure that you're down at Lord's 10 o'clock Monday morning. Um, don't be late. And as you said, once you've digested that you've been asked to 
join the squad to play for your country. It is the it's it's, it's what you've been dreaming about, isn't it? It's, it's something that you've you've aspired to. You've been putting all that hard work. And you say right, you and you you start your heart beats out of your chest. You start sweating. You start thinking, yeah, this is absolutely amazing. And like most people, I I had a little chip on my other shoulder, thinking, well, what happens if I'm not good enough? What happens if uh, I balls it up? What happens if I make a fool of myself live on TV in front of all them people? And so you start dropping your shopping a bit as well. Yeah. So I was dropping my shopping, really excited, phoning people up, saying, ah, I've just been selected. Um, and then I thought, love, it's a long way from Belden. Um, <laughs> How am I going to get I, there? <laughs> <laughs> I'd only been to Lords once before in my life. Um, <laughs> and that was side bottom. I got lost. Um, <laughs> So I thought, do you know what? I need to set off early. So I was, I was out, I was out, I set off early. So early, I was outside the Lord's Gates at half six in the morning. Um, so I, I need to get into into Lord's here. Uh, but again, all the all the gates were shut and everything else. But long story short, I managed to get into the the changing rooms and sitting in that changing room, the home changing room, not just the away changing room, the home changing rooms with everybody's. Yeah, with everybody's name up on the honours board of taking five for scoring 100. It was just a, an amazing feeling. And we had 13 named in the um, in the squad. So they didn't tell us the side. Um, on the Thursday morning, they narrowed it down to 12. Hmm. And said, right then, um, there's a big black cloud just coming over from behind the pavilion. Exactly. If, that blows, yeah. Yeah, if that blows away, we're going to play Robert Croft. But if the, the cloud stays, we're going to play Hoggy. So this is at half nine, thinking, right, then I want the clouds to stay. Robert's sort of like trying to get the clouds blown away. 10 o'clock comes around, still not told. Half past 10 comes around, the toss is just about to be there. I haven't been told. Alex Stewart runs past me, who's the captain, because NASA's broken his fingers. Um, so Alex Stewart was captain for that. And he said, oh, by the way, Hoggy, you play. So I'm thinking, wow. I'm playing. Um, I've been nervous all morning. Very quick um, cap with just David Graveney and Alex Stewart. Quick photo on the edge of the pitch because they were full in whites because we had to go out and bowl. And it was sort of like a whirlwind. Uh, I didn't take a wicket in my first first innings, but managed to, to score 12 not out in the first innings. And then I had that perilous wait watching... Corky you must have batted and... for about four hours to get 12 runs, would you? Ah, I, I, I slogged it. I tell you, I, I, hit, <laughs> I think I hit three-fourths. Um, <laughs> uh, I edged out a thermo, but twice I smacked Kirtley Ambrose over Cal Corner. Yeah, but he was uh, 50 at the time. <laughs> no, he was 50, but he still gave me the Kirtley stare. <laughs> and, uh, being that cocky little Yorkshireman, I went up and tapped his shoes and looked at him and thinking, <laughs> he's going to kill me. Yes. Uh, but I was batting with Goffey, which is... Yeah, you say Goffy is a brilliant person to be with and you always take advice off Goffy because he always looks out for you. I went out and my first ball of my test career was against Courtney Walsh. There was one ball left in the over. Darren Goff said to me, Hoggy, he's going to try and get you out, bold or LBW, get forward. So I got forward and the ball whistled past my head. <laughs> and I looked at Goffey, and he was absolutely peeing himself. <laughs> and when he went back, well, Courtney Walsh and Goffey sort of like knocked hands together like the freaking pundit.
There's a noise here, and Poggard's the man again. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport 2 as part of the following on podcast. Steve Harmison in conversation with his former England teammate Matthew Hoggard. Over the next part of the programme, they discuss that series against South Africa and his time in the Rainbow Nation. I, got, I remember playing against South Africa in 99 with the touring side and Hansi Cronje and Corey Fansal asked me and said, would you fancy going to... Because David Boone, who was captain of Durham, said, do you fancy coming to Tasmania in the winter? Um, and then I got an offer, a gentleman's offer from... Free State to say, would you like, would you be interested in coming to um, to Bloemfontein to play for Free State? And then I got picked for the academy in two or three years later when me and you sort of started playing a lot. I found out you went to Free State and you know, you were probably the perfect, you were the perfect person to go to Bloemfontein. You are, you are more Free State than the people from Free State. And how did you enjoy that? Because I remember to sort of elaborate on that, I remember being in Africa in 2004 and there were some big Dutchmen, South Africans playing cricket in the corridor, talking <laughs> in Afrikaans and me and you were sort of having a mess about with them. And they were talking in Afrikaans and you you just went fluent into Afrikaans. And look <laughs> on their face. It was, it was, just, yeah, uh, it was just priceless. L- living in Blumfontein, you had to prop a bicky of Afrikaans mm. because Ingalls, they didn't pop. Um, so you, you learn a little bit of the lingo. Um, I think it was the three state cheaters, weren't it? That were the, 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 like the big that, lumps, yeah. the big lumps of lad that were playing um, yeah. in the thing. But I loved it. Absolutely loved my time in the free state. It's farming, farming state, uh, farms and sport. So fast it suited me down to the ground. They they did a lot of brine, so they did a lot of barbecuing in the back garden. They played hard. There was a lot of times to to train and. To walk in and your captain's Hansi Cronje and you're saying, right, then you can sit over in that corner and you sat next to Alan Donald mm. and you've got Nicky Boyer in one corner, uh, another corner, you've got um, Gerhardus Liedenberg. So there was Butter Dippenau in the same side. So it was a it was a fantastic side to, to actually be part of. And we had an English-speaking coach in Andy Moles mm. And it was brilliant. Um, but learning to play cricket on the flat free state wickets with the cook of a ball in the heat, you have to learn, you have to adapt, um, and you have to be on your top of your game because they don't have as many first-class games. And if you're not performing, you've always got the next um, player coming through. And I loved it. I mean, I can remember playing one-day cricket Opening the ball, well, Alan Donald didn't open the ball. Um, he came on first. But the chats you used to get at mid-on, mid-off about how to play. Um, and he came and watched one day, of the, had a four-day game down uh, at the stand. And it was reverse swinging. And all I could do was get it reversing in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I asked Dead D on the balcony. He was talking to Nicole Petorius, the groundsman, who you must probably know. I said, I can only get it going in. And we had a, he gave me a very quick demonstration and told me how to get the ball to swing away. So next over, I got the ball to hold up and he got caught first slip. AD celebrated more than anybody else on that ground because he's, he's just enjoyed giving his um, knowledge out and somebody else taking, well, getting the wicket. But he, he just had the same amount of enjoyment for being able to part his knowledge. He was such a, he was a leg end of that block. Any the reason why I brought that up is because it stood you in good stead. We went back in two thousand and four five. I remember, I remember off the off the back of the West Indies trip. That West Indies trip was my trip. Yeah! That'll do it. 
Triscothic takes the catch. Harmison becomes the most successful bowler ever at Sabina Park. 12 overs and three balls, eight maidens no less, seven wickets for 12. Up the charts. Seven for 12, well ball. Yep, thank you very much. Yeah, you weren't bad at it. You didn't do too bad either getting, getting a hat trick in, uh, in Barbados. So we'll pump yeah. each other's tyres up yeah, in, uh, in, in, <laughs> on that aspect. But we went to South Africa and I struggled. I struggled big time mm. mentally. I was struggling from you know, my health point of view, our, you know, the, the sort of depression that kicked in big, big time. And we were sort of, as an England side, on the crest of a wave and basically beating everybody that's, that, that come before us but we had the ashes around the corner and did that time at free state stand you in good stead of bowling on them services because you were a gem in that series. You're highlighting and culminating and finishing off with seven for, was it seven for 50 odd at, at Johannesburg? Yeah. And again, it was quite bizarre because I'd never bowl well at the ball ring in Joburg. Mm. I can remember taking a wicket in the first over uh, um, where we were Natal. We were, no, we were in no, it was P1 at Port yeah. Elizabeth after the first test match. First got test Smith. match, yeah. Yeah, got Graham Smith caught out slip. Um, and it was sort of like a ball that just didn't swing. Mm. Uh, I, I know I'd got into Graham Smith's head and it, it came out later when there was the, I think you played in it, the, um, rest, of the rest of the world versus Australia. Yeah. In test matches. And Graham Smith said, Hoggy is a nightmare because he goes both ways and I can't pick up when he goes out. Yeah. And I'm thinking, well, let him into a secret. Neither do I. It's just more than <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is that anybody that tells me, from a scene bowler's point of view, that they can nip the ball back and nip the ball away? It's just nonsense. <laughs> Put the ball, see yeah. up. And if it goes yeah. in, that's brilliant. If it goes out, that's fair enough. Yeah. But at that time, you had it, you did have it go uh, around corners. And yeah, it, even, it, that, even that wondrous test, Graham Smith, I know by injury, but he came in later on, didn't he? He came in down here. Yeah, he, he smacked his head, didn't he, on the um, playing whatever it was. He smacked his head on a cool box and came in at seven. And I can remember everybody getting at him when he came. He still scored 50 odd. Um, he was not he out by the end, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. But we, we couldn't get him out, so we got everybody, you got everybody else out. <laughs> well, up goes the finger. England have done it. They've beaten South Africa and go 2-1 up in this series. That was one of them days for me, that everything that I'd, I tried or did, it, it, they didn't play and miss it, they played and hit it. LBWs could have gone either way, went my way. And it was, it was you know, you, you get the momentum and you get the, the look, of, look of the draw. It all seemed to go my way. And to pick up seven for them, as I said, 12, which is my best bowling stats to, to help win that game, and ultimately win that series because of the rain in Centurion. Um, and to, to go unbeaten in 2004 and going into that Ashes series unbeaten and having beaten us South Africa away, it just sort of like highlighted the depth of our squad. And uh, unlike when I first went into the England side and we had Goffey and Caddick uh, loggerheads at each other, always wanting to do one better than the other one, getting at the other one if they did better and I remember walking off the pitch at Lords when Caddy got a wicket um, when Goffey was on forfeit uh, and said, at least I stopped you from getting on the board. Yeah, which is a disgrace. And I'm thinking that is a trick to do. And as people say, what was the success about that that, that team from sort of 2004 to 2005? Our bowlers didn't care. 
it wasn't a fact that you got seven for hours jealous or I got Patrick, you were jealous. It was a case of, right, we've got seven wickets, we've got ten wickets, we we're can up. get off the pitch, yeah. we can let our batters try and mess it up. I mean, um, score some runs. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, and, and that was, to me, it was the, the beauty of that team. There was no friction, there was no animosity about. It was all... Uh, it was like a county team, wasn't it? It was just bickering yeah. and it's like 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 a family team rather than it was a it was a settled team. Nobody was really fighting for the places. It was a right, and if everybody's fit, this is going to be the team for for a while. So we didn't have the weak link in there, and we didn't have people bickering, fighting, or jealous of each other. And I think that was one of the reasons we were so successful. Do you think the captain the captain helped because you know, you played for NASA? Cliver Vaughney, come up with Vaughney, through Vaughney with, with Yorkshire as well. Vaughney had this knack of, you know, he had this, this golden touch. He had, a, he had a good set of bowlers, but he had this golden touch of being able to deal with everybody as an individual rather than NASA just shouting, bowling, and screaming at everybody. Um, <laughs> and, throwing his hat on the floor and kicking would the you dirt say, would, you, would, you, ball. <laughs> would you go as far as to say it, it was Vaughney having Lady Luck on his side? Or do, you, or do you buy into the fact that Vaughan was just a very, very good man manager and leader because they both worked with Duncan and Duncan, unless you had a bat in your hand or you had a trigger movement, Duncan didn't <laughs> want to know you. Or, or, or you didn't be far, like Collie, you weren't so far yeah. up his... Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you weren't his... Um, if you weren't his teacher's pet, yes. You, as you say, I think um, Vaughan was a very good man manager. Um, he could t- speak to people in different ways to get the best out of them. And I've heard you describe him as, is the best liar you, yes, you're yeah. not. Mm. So I remember first test match, um, I'll, we'll go to the Ashes series in 2005, mm. rolling in the first innings, um, asking me about my monkeys. Mm. Oh, your monkeys? And I said, well, they're not so good because one of them fell off and got eaten by the alligators um, the other day. And turned around and bowled a ball at Matthew Hay. And he knew yeah. that... My default setting was to run up too fast and get giddy and just to try harder and harder and harder. So he knew to talk about he talking about imaginary yeah. things. Yeah, yeah, and get get me out of the situation. I said, you know, I'll get them or bowl something because he likened me to the shop floor and the cleaner upper. Mm. He said, uh, yourself uh, and Freddie were up in the offices and you're doing the sweeping up and the 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 the, the menial work down at the bottom. Uh, so if I bowled a bad ball. Instead of kicking the turf and dropping his hat on the floor, here is it. Hoggy, get off them stairs. Get back down onto that floor. You're not in the offices. You get down <laughs> onto that floor. So, yeah, he knew how to talk to you. Um, and nothing seemed to, to rile him. Um, you look at people under pressure. And when you get pressure, their, their traits come out all the way through. I, again, we'll go to 2005 when it was evident flowing and you looked at the leader and your captain to, to show the way. You couldn't see anything wrong. It, was, it, it didn't fluster. And he had that floppy hat on his dark glasses so he couldn't see what it was like. <laughs> so he might have been absolutely pooping his pants behind the scenes, but he didn't let that show um, when he was out there. And he didn't let it go to his troops. And I think the, the fact that he could speak to different people in different ways, and uh, he was he was great at not letting the emotion or everything else take 
take him away from what he did best made him a very good leader still to come on the cricket collective on talk sport 2 matthew hoggard looking back at the iconic ashes series in 2005 and those five test matches that changed english cricket forever Drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean, there truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, truly the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talk Sport 2 and an exclusive interview with the former England bowler Matthew Hoggard. If you missed any of the show or wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, available on Apple Podcasts, Acast and Spotify. But without further ado, he joins Steve Harmison to look back at the iconic Ashes series in 2005. This is the Cricket Collective on Talk Sport 2. In 2005, you mentioned you brought it up, so we'll talk about 2005. We had a good, I would say, a good bowling display at Lords. We got 20 wickets, but we got beat. Did you feel as though all that hard work that we'd gone through, the Caribbean, New Zealand and West Indies at home, beating South Africa, did you go away thinking, you know what, <laughs> maybe we're not as good as what we thought we were? Maybe yeah. they are really that good? I'd be lying if I said, no, I didn't. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I went to Australia. My first tour was in 2000, 2001. I played, when, NAS, when did NASA win the toss and decide that, that it one, hadn't yeah. for... Yeah, I was on that four, trip as well. Yeah, it hasn't ran for five years, yeah. but we'll, we'll, we'll I mean, have me, a bowl. Me, you and Kenny were the only three bowlers because we played <laughs> night and everybody else was yeah. injured. I can remember Craig White coming on to bowl and we've already discussed that he was the quickest bowler out of the lot of us. 
Um, every time he used to come on to bowl, um, we'd already sort of like bowled the throwdown balls for Matthew Aiden. So he was sort of like seeing it like a beach ball. And he used to track Craig White and smack him over mid on for six. I remember that in Lisbon. And Jocky was fat track ball, fat track ball. And so I, I had them memories. Remember. And then uh, it was a case of we'd talk of a game. We've just been, I was at 130 runs, 150 runs. We lost yeah. at Lords. And yeah, I'm like you. I thought we'd bowled really well. We bowled them up less than 200 in the first innings. Um, so we had a good chance. And we didn't bat got, very well. But then you got Hayden at Lords first up. We go, we bat, and I mentioned it before. Yeah. Yeah, we, we have this innings where we get 400 in the first year. Vaughn telling us we've got to play basically 2020 cricket to go and just take the Aussies <laughs> on, which I remember the conversation vaguely, but not as as big as what M- Michael makes out to be now. But And then we, we're on this crest of a wave. Freddie and KP have got the crowd going. And all of a sudden, we've got Hayden first ball and, and Hoggy gets a <laughs> drive. Strousey catches him on the drive. That Was a, was that a pre-plan or did, was Vaughan right by saying Strousey was late to get on the field? Now you just... <laughs> nah, again, we always had that short, um, short mid-off. Um, so it was a plan. But again, I always used to work on the fact that I try and bowl my best ball. Yeah. And then the field placement is the batter's fault and it's the batter's issue. I don't... The situation in the game dictates what you're trying to do. If you're trying to drive up the runs or you're trying to get wickets. But my, my, I still argue that my best ball is hard to score off. Mm. And my best ball is the best ball that I can bowl to get a wicket. Mm. If I run up and it's swinging and I bowl with three slips, two gullies, and I'm an attacking bowler, I'm trying to get wickets. If I run up and try and hit tops, top of the off and it's not swinging, I'm bowling 5-4 now. I'm a defensive bowler. Yeah. I haven't done anything but the field's changed. So to put that man in the, the in Hayden's um, eye line, mm. it was messing with him rather than messing with me. Yeah. Um, so it was a plan. And after the series had finished, I can remember talking to Matthew Hayden, and he went, "Do you know what that man on the drive it's did me? Because yeah. I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know whether to block it, hit it through him." Hit it over him, and if he was trying, if he didn't know what to do, that was part of the battle of uh, of getting one up on the batters. And yeah, I'd like to say it was my idea, but well, we were just doing it. <laughs> I, I just bowled. We we came out. Obviously, we 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 get that win. Country's behind us. Everybody forgets about Old Trafford, so we parked out to one yeah. side. It's a boring draw, really. And then we fast forward to the end of the end of uh, of Trent Bridge. <laughs> I'm thinking 130 to win. Ah, we're going to be we're, we're walking this. We're going to win this. <laughs> I, I wasn't, especially the way we've gone. <laughs> and then all of a sudden we're 30 for none. Yes, I'm, I'm, I might even I might even pack my kit now. I'm, I'm, <laughs> we're going to be two one up in the ashes. And then all of a sudden, one Mexi's mark. We're in trouble. We need a boundary hitter. And England send out my, uh, Matthew Hoggard with his big chase bat. And all I could say is, I know Brett Lee was bowling 90-odd mile an hour. It's a good <laughs> job he bowled 90 mile an hour because that, <laughs> that extra cover drive will, will, will forever be in my, etched in my memory as one of the best shots I have ever seen anybody hit because it got us over the line. Good shot. Full toss meant to be a Yorker. And no one can save that. 
What a hog I'm glad you saw it. I mean, I should. <laughs> As you say, yeah, it was bowling quick. And it was, it was tricky, wasn't it? We, we had Shane Warne at one end, and I don't like facing leg spin. It gets me out for fun. Um, and we had Brett Lee bowling at 95 mile an hour, and I'd rather purse the 90 mile an hour than the, the leg spin. But it was a, it was a case of, do you know what? We, we only needed 12. If we stayed in, we would have edged 12. Um, <laughs> I knew I had an edge or two in me um, to, to get down to that. But I think Shane, um, Brett Lee missed a trick um, because he was either trying to kill me or bowl me Yorkers. Yeah. And he just uprooted um, Freddie's stumps I'll by a lovely it. length ball. A ball in. Great delivery. Wonderful bowling. The stumps are down. Brett Lee has made the breakthrough. He's got the man out that really could win this quickly. If he'd have bowled that to me, I'd, or you, or Simon Jones, would have been, he'd, have got, he'd have got four, 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 four. Um, but he tried to bowl me Yorkers, and he kept on getting them wrong. I remember clipping, clipping two off down to final leg. You get two for that. That's a great over for Matthew Hoggard in England. Do you know what? It was so much easier out in the middle than it was watching. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I was... My shoes. No, I, I mean, when I was waiting to bat, I was trying to hide in the physio's room. I was under towels and everything else. I was shaking. I was so nervous. Um, and G. Jones tried to smack um, Brett Lee, um, Shane Warne back into Leicester. Yeah. And going out onto that pitch, everything slowed down. Everything, it was now just a game of cricket. And it was about you trying to not get killed by Brett Lee. Um, so the crowd noise and everything else sort of like went away. It was now a case of not survival, but <laughs> a bit of self-preservation, saying, right, then, these balls hurt when they hit you, so you, you don't want to be hit by this. Um, and the, the runs came then naturally, but because you were in the moment and it was something that you'd trained the brain for, everything else just paled into insignificant, and it was just you and that red thing coming at you. So in that aspect, it was so much easier than what you faced, thinking you know, if Hoggy gets out or Jarl gets out, I'm next in. And that, that to me, was the horrible, horrible bit. And I, I, I'll back that up because I'm sitting on a balcony with my pads on, looking at Simon Jones, who's, sorry, who's trying to get a pad on because he's got a medical <laughs> boot, potentially going to come out and bat in a medical, you know, get his medical yeah. boot off and put that back on. And it was, I, I, I still still say to this day, edge busting at the end of the game. When I had the ball in my hand, I was fine. When I didn't have the ball in my yeah. hand, I was shaking like a, like, like a leaf. Yeah. So I there can was understand. one point in that game at edge busting that Vaughan looked at me and told me to warm up. <laughs> I, think they, I think they needed 10 at the time to warm up. I think this only thing I'll... Yeah. I must admit, a um, bit of nipping, but yeah, I, I totally agree. Once you're in the moment, so much easier. And not being in there and knowing what you like, first of all, you're thinking, oh, I've got to warm up now. Um, but yeah, exactly the same as the bat. Here we go. You got the oval and a fantastic occasion. I'll, I'll yeah. never forget that last day at the oval, even though it was a, you know, it was a nipper and the, the innings that Kev played, it was you just couldn't, couldn't believe what the things that Kevin was doing. Yes, he wasn't born in England. He wasn't of the English mentality of just play through the V and what you were, the, the coach and manager, what was brought up. He was a special talent because he, he thought differently to us. And 
I remember sitting between lunch and tea time on the last day thinking, what is he doing? He just slugs <laughs> it again for six. Stop doing that. Hit it down the ground. I turned it to NASA for about two hours. Oh, it, was, it was horrendous, wasn't it? And I, was it the second innings that McGrath was on a hat-trick? Yeah, and it could have been out. Yeah. It could have been out first ball. He could have been out um, first ball, yeah. It hit his shoulder. Yeah. And it was a massive... Everybody went up and you're thinking, yeah. and that was it. If he gets and out... And it looked yeah, out. It looked that, out. It's game over. <laughs> yeah. And it, because there was no reviews, if the umpire had made a stinker, then it was game over again. And then how many times did he get dropped? Mm. Taking on Sean Tate and Brett Lee, poking and putting... I'm, I'm thinking, how on earth, even if you told me, and you said, right, get in any position you want to, and Brett Lee's going to hit you on the head, or Sean Tate's going to bowl you a bouncer. To take it, I don't know, how do you take it on? Oh, well, well, well you close your eyes. It. You close your eyes, and we'll, we'll come to that in a minute, but you, you close your eyes, swing, and think of England and hope that it goes all <laughs> in. You know, 25,000 people paid 10 quid for a ticket on that day to see England, you know, see England win the Ashes for the first time in 20 years, and the atmosphere on the field was just unbelievable. Oh. It certainly was, and I can say I know we've spoken about it in the past. The the only thing that let that day down a little bit is that the game wasn't called while we're on the pitch. On the pitch, yeah. And it, the, the, I, I still don't understand why the Australians came off for bad light in that yeah. game. Yeah. And they they did it time after time and again. Good, they came off for bad yeah. light. And you think, what are you doing? <laughs> You've got to win this. Oh, well, they had to. They were behind the eight ball. Um, it was just a. A bizarre thing. They had to win that game to to regain the ashes, and they kept on coming off. And you're thinking that doesn't add up. Yeah, I couldn't understand how the uh, why and how they did it. And I agree that the way the end was quite farcical when the umpires told us in the dressing room, and we couldn't yeah, celebrate yeah. the moment. Yeah, we couldn't celebrate the moment not being on the field. So it was it was tough. But if we didn't get the moment to celebrate. On the field, <laughs> I think we can safely say we certainly celebrated it off it. What's your memories of Biden? Memories of um, the bus trip, if you can remember anything about it. And you know, Trafalgar Square, yeah. go around that corner in Trafalgar Square and seeing all them people because oh. I'm like, on a bus trip, really, us lot, you're gonna let Hulk yeah. after 12 hours on a drink <laughs> with a lot of people, Flintoff, yeah. Harmison, no chance you're gonna let that happen. And it did. And, you know, we 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 didn't let down. We 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 look. We made sure that we put a good spectacle on. But going yeah. around that corner for me hit home. I didn't think there'd be anybody turn up, and the amount yeah. of people in Trafalgar Square when we went around that corner on that bus, it was like wow. It was like a pop concert. Yeah, it was amazing. One. I mean, we all tell different stories of that day, and we've all heard everybody else speak about it. But the truth of the matter is that so many people turned up to watch an England cricket team go around London. Mm-hmm. Now, that, that stemmed from the hotel. Everywhere we went were people lying in the streets. And I can remember at one point yelling at everybody to go home. What the, you've got work to do. Go home. Go, go do something. You, you, you come out and look at 12 Asbos. Correct. And the matter of fact of how bad we looked and how bad we, how, I wouldn't say behaved, but... It was clear that we were cut. We were half cut. We might still be cut. We, we'd been on the lash. And we didn't have one bit of bad press. 
No, we didn't. Not one, we didn't have not one, one bit of bad press. No, and it wasn't a case of how unprofessional and uh, everybody had taken us to the hearts and yes. said, you know what, they deserve it. Yeah. And I can't see that happening again. And I can't see that happening nowadays if, if you went out and got lashed and then went, yeah, went on in public on an open tall bus ride to, and then got to the Downing Street, and then we 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 didn't vilify, we'd have been crucified. No, we didn't a... get we didn't get any bad press at all, considering. And after uh, we'll tell us we'll tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth here. <laughs> when we went to ten, ten Downing Street, paint the picture of you know, no alcohol, so we managed to get some alcohol into ten Downing Street, <laughs> um, and then we're standing outside waiting for a, the photo opportunity of a lifetime for the prime minister <laughs> who has just gone into war with, with America in, in the Middle East. He's probably the second most powerful man in the world at the time. And we're all standing lined up waiting for this photographer, <laughs> uh, this photograph to happen. There's about hundred and odd, there's millions of photographers <laughs> waiting for it. And, and I've said it along. I love you to bits. You're one of my best mates in the game. But when you've had a drink or when you're in one of your moods, <laughs> Do not go anywhere near Matthew Hoggard. And Tony Blair decided to put his arm around you, look at you glazingly in the eye, then looked at the cameras and asked what we were doing there. Your response was just perfect. Come on. It was truthful. It was truthful, wasn't it? And everybody was thinking it at the time. It just took a Yorkshireman to say it. He asked me what, what we were doing. I said, Well, everybody wants a photo, you <laughs> I think you spoke for a hell of a lot of people in the country at that time. And it was, it was, it was brilliant. And to not get any bad press off that was just, was, was phenomenal. But fast forward and we, you know, we look to, to carry on. We, we forged a massive friendship in that group. You mentioned yeah. how close we all were um, in, I think, I think we, we give cricket back to the people of England and the, you know, the good, good, cricket, good cricket people. And I think we put the, the cricket back on the map, like what rugby did in 2003. And we went to India, we went to Pakistan after that. And you know, we didn't play as well. And there's one game in India I want to talk about. In the first test match, it was like it, honestly, it was like carry on, it was a carry-on film, that, that build-up of that test series. Because Vaughan's captain... Simon Jones is there. Trez is there when we left. Trez and Vaughan, Simon Jones play the first fair warm-up game. Vaughan gets injured. Simon gets injured. Trez takes over the captaincy in Baroda, then goes home halfway through day two. So all of a sudden, Freddie's now in charge, and we've got three debutants, Cook, uh, Anderson, coming in. And we go to Nagpur with, against a very, very good India side, we're thinking, well, we've got nothing to lose here. You know, even though we were Ashes winners, we've got nothing to lose here. And and Hoggard takes six for in the first Test match and gets man a match. Uh, wasn't it seven for? I know six. I've got it. In front of me. <laughs> Are you sure it's seven? Got in front of me. Yeah, thirty. Th- how did you bowl thirty point five overs, thirteen maidens, six for fifty seven? Well bowled, Matt uh, Hoggard. I don't know. Uh, it was quite. A, it was. It, it started reversing as well. Um, it was swinging, um, and again. It was one of them days where you, things go your way instead of going against you. The real, actually, I didn't remember any of that build-up. I didn't remember that Vaughan was there and then Vaughan went home there, and yeah. Fred took over and went home and uh, Freddie took over. I just thought it was Freddie that was captain. <laughs> didn't know anything about Just how much attention I paid. That's, um, 
Well, we're in, we're in that to, court. What, 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 do you, what do you need to know? You need to know that you need to bowl your best ball as many times as you possibly can. Whoever stood on the pitch is irrelevant. They can't you're, do jack until you let go of the ball. You're a simple, you're a simple man with simple <laughs> beliefs. And I think when it come, comes to when it comes to that, and I love telling this story, and I'll end it, I'll end this conversation with that because we are best mates. We are, well, I'll not, I'll lead into it because of, of Brisbane. So first over in Brisbane, ready to go. I take the first ball, bowl the first ball to, to Freddie at second slip. And, and, I, and I looked at the corner of my eye and all of a sudden you are about the th- edge of the 30-yard circle with your arms in the air. I think you were celebrating. You're celebrating. Oh. I could see it. And I was like, what, what's he celebrating for? Did he not see? And it was like, missed the middle. And you're like shouting, you missed the middle bit out. And that was just, <laughs> that was just the way you were. And you started well, going from well, celebrating well, with arms in the air to, to yeah. warming up. Yeah, well, there's no way a ball can get to second slip in a test match from a bowler's hand if it doesn't hit the bat. There's absolutely no way. <laughs> you cannot get it so wrong that the ball hits second slip. I, I still don't believe that. Um, it was the following year you broke my thumb. It was, and, and that's what I'm leading into because of how there's only mates can talk to each other like that and there's only you know, good friends that can do it and show respect for. And I remember playing against Yorkshire the following summer and you come out to bat and you start being your usual nervous. I'd, I'd, I'd been called up as well because I didn't play the first bit because I was down at Lords. Yeah, the that's first right. Test match. So I replaced, uh, was it Brett? I might have been replaced Brezzy or one of the bowlers. I came up and took part in the second half of the game. I came out to bat and, and you, were, you were bowling. And I was quite respectful. And I did ask and say please to the umpire. And I said, excuse me, I can't remember who the umpire was, but I said, excuse me, can I have two foot outside the off stump? <laughs> and stood which, two foot outside off stump. Yeah. And to which you replied, Hoggy, stop messing about. So yeah. I said, I'm sorry, can I have four foot outside the love stump? Um, and then you proceeded to bowl rather sharply. And to be fair, it wasn't bouncers. You didn't try and kill me. No. Um, but one of the ball reared off a length and whacked me on the thumb. I couldn't stop um, laughing because your reply <laughs> to the next ball is one of the funniest <laughs> things I've ever heard in cricket. Because yes. uh, I've bowled this, I'm thinking, right, he's trying to be clever. He took four foot outside of stump, and then you took a guard outside leg stump. And I'm thinking, I know he's nervous because at the time I'd been bowling quite quickly. So I thought, I can't hit him. I can't bowl bouncer at him. It's my, it's me mate. It's Hoggy, me and him up the bowling for 45 consecutive test matches together. He's my bowling partner. I can't do that. So, all right, so bowl hard into length, and it's just popped off a length, and it's hit you in the glove. To which the next ball, I run up and I thought, if I can hit this, if I can hit the stumps, which was very, very difficult <laughs> for the big fella. I really struggled to hit the stumps and bowl straight. But if I can get this anywhere near the stumps, I'll get Huggy out because you'll not be anywhere near in line of them. And this ball, top of off yeah, stump, good ball. Just missed, good ball, just missed the top of off stump. And I actually thought I'd bowl you. So I've like run away a little bit and I've arms in the air and I've gone, oh, how has that missed? And your reply was, <laughs> I don't know. I had my eyes closed. It was one of the funniest <laughs> things I've ever heard for a batsman on a pitch. It was just innocent hugger. just going, no, no, I had my eyes closed. And I just couldn't stop laughing. I couldn't bowl after that. I was like, I don't want to bowl at me, mate. So. Uh, I find that all I hated bowling at people that I knew. Yeah. Mm. I, I just, I, I just, something in me didn't like bowling at people that I was friends with. You could put a complete stranger down there, don't give a flying hoot, but put one of your mates down there. I hated it with a passion. 
And you came out of uh, England, you came out of Yorkshire, you went to Le- Leicestershire, career finished, celebrity master chef. And what yeah. you're doing now is what you're doing is your love because looking at me and you now, we look as though <laughs> we enjoy our food. Um, oh, certainly do. You're enjoying cooking at Hoggy's Grill and when are we going to see when are we going to see a restaurant Hoggy's restaurant open in one of the big cities where you're cooking barbecue food for yeah us? I don't think we'll be having any restaurants in the near future I'm I'm all about school I'm all about teaching people how to to barbecue properly um, and to to have that love of the outdoor life and say enjoy during lockdown everybody's bought into their gardens into their houses and upgraded because not allowed to do anything else so everybody's got a grill in their garden now um now the hard bit is learning how to cook on them and going away from the normal burgers and chicken and whatever uh is getting out there making sure that you are best prepared and skillful enough to to prepare gorgeous food while enjoying the great outdoors well that's what i'm doing if you're as anywhere I've seen you on, and you are very, very skillful. So if you're anywhere, anywhere near skillful as what you were with the ball, how, how, you will be. How very, about very... this for a game of chicken? Oh, very good. That is very good. <laughs> well, if Hoggy's Grills vision of 2021, fingers crossed, it's a very, very good one because you know I hope, wish you all the best for that go- uh, that school because it's something I know. Having been with you a couple of weeks ago, it's something that you're, you're passionate about, you know, the cooking stuff. So, Oggy, cheers for your time. Thanks no very, worries, very Paul. much for telling the story. Um, and uh, you've been great company. As you always <laughs> uh, why are you lying now? Always. <laughs> you've been told people that if it's no, in we the can mood, stop recording now. Now, <laughs> <laughs> thanks to both Steve Harmson and Matthew Hoggart for the last hour. And if you missed any of the show or wish to catch up, you can download the podcast on the following on feed. Available on Apple Podcasts, Acast and Spotify. Thanks for listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final... You can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you are keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today.